appreciate it. Hi. Uh, all right. So, so this is the second half of our recording session, the second podcast of the day. It's 3.02 p.m. April 25th, 2020. I am your host, Shale. Thank you, listeners, for joining us at the Yangang Roundtable. Thank you, speakers. I've got a really good crowd. Let's all go from top to bottom of the room, starting with Ariel, ending with Sheridan. Just say uh, who we are in just a quick sentence. Um, and uh, give your Twitter handle. And uh, yeah, well, I'll start with you, Ariel. Go on. Yeah, my name is Ariel. Um, I've been part of the Yang Gang since its inception. And uh, my Twitter is Ariel's Armada, uh, Ariel's underscore Armada. That's A-R-I-E-L-S underscore A-R-M-A-D-A. And I also have a YouTube channel called Revolutionary Thinking, if anybody is interested. Thank you, Ariel. Now, uh, oh, Dan, you just popped in. Great. Good timing. Um, how's your mic? Are you are you good to talk to talk? We can come back to you because you just got in. Uh, Faye, are you are you you also just popped in? We'll come back to you in a second. Let's go. Uh, Fred the felon is here. Thank you for being here, Fred. You're kind of a high Hello? profile Yang Gang person. You were very very hey. early to Andrew Yang. Thank you. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, my name is Fred Rainey. Um, I go by Fred the felon uh, on my uh, Twitter. I uh, my handle is felon underscore Fred. Uh, so check me out on Twitter. Uh, and then uh, at Truckers for Yang as well. So, uh, but yes, I came to Andrew Yang very, very early. So, mm-hmm. pleasure to be yeah. here. I, 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 uh, I don't talk about it too much, but I was, uh, I was also very early to the party, not in a way that you were, but I knew of Andrew Yang, and I was like, theoretically, I would love to support that guy if ever there were... Uh, you know, if he were ever more valid than like Vermin Supreme, which when I discovered him in like October 2018, he was just slightly more than, you know? Yeah, even in uh, November of uh, and, yeah, then, 2018, like, he was just barely more. Yeah, and then a miracle happened, and here we are. Yeah. Um, so thank you for being here, Fred. I remember seeing articles and tweets of you, from you, about you from way back when, so it's it's cool to meet you, and thank you for for talking on my show, our show. It's been great to hear your ideas. Uh, Jacqueline, um, thank you I'm, for being hello. here again. Hello, I'm Jacqueline Homan. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Jacqueline Homan. Um, I also have a YouTube channel that I am starting to work on, and that's, again, Jacqueline Homan. I like keeping it simple. I also have a couple of um, online stores um, and a Patreon, 99 Reasons Why. Uh, so you can find me there. And I've been speaking out and writing about things like poverty and, you know, the barriers of classism to uh, employment uh, in a society that even in its heyday never had enough jobs for all. Uh, And I'm the author of a book that I wrote and self-published 12 years ago called Classism for Dimwits, which is now sadly only available through Kindle uh, because uh, the self-publishing print-on-demand publishers and authors kind of got burned. (laughs) A while back, so anyway. Thank you, thank you, Jacqueline. Uh, Jeremy, hello. Hi, this is Jeremy Sammons. Uh, I've been a longtime UBI advocate in a deep red state in a deep red community. Uh, if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I can be reached at Jeremy Sammons One. That's S A M M O N S and the number one. 
Thank you very much, Jeremy. And thank you for all the work you put into putting this event together. You got a lot of people uh, to come here as guests. You really um, put a really great roster together. And thank you for all of the support you've been doing, adding um, research to the chat for everyone to read and comment on during the show. Very much oh, appreciated. Yeah, I've, uh, I've very much enjoyed this experience so far. Thank you, it's, been, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, you've been a great asset. And, uh, we're going to do much more going forward. It's going to it's going great. Knocking on wood, right? Anyway, uh, I hate to get into like bragging territory. Anyway, I feel self-conscious now. Uh, right before we get we get to Kevin from Linsight. Hello. Hey, what's going on? Uh, my name is Kevin. Um, I work uh, here at home, and uh, I, me and my two brothers we operate a YouTube channel called Linsight, which is uh, primarily focused on like uh, current events, um, stock markets, trading. Uh, but we also like to dabble in politics. In fact, lately, uh, with the uh, with the presidential race, um, it all began uh, when we when we were browsing Joe Rogan and we saw this very handsome Asian man on Joe Rogan talking about a, a universal basic income. And from that point on, we we became very interested in the message, and uh, eventually we realized like UBI is the way forward. So uh, from from then on, we just talked about Andrew Yang and <clears throat> the importance of a UBI and uh, the failure of conventional welfare. That's fantastic. Um, I'm very glad that you could be here. Uh, Jeremy, could you make Linsight's face bigger on the Twitch screen? I'll see what I can do. All right. Thank you. And we have finally shaving with Tully. Tully, you've been here for a little while. You came in during our open discussion. Um, I did not get a chance to say hello. Thank you for coming. I really wanted to, but I just didn't feel like there was a good time in the conversation to butt in. So hello and thank you for coming. What's good, everybody? Should I introduce myself whatever? Yes, as much as you would like. Sweet. Um, so yeah, my name is Tolly. I'm currently living in Dallas. Um, I started a YouTube channel called Shaving with Tolly. Uh, later changed the name to The Math Movement. Um, and lately I've been working with Humanity Forward on a training uh, that, that will sort of bring members of the Yang Gang up to speed on what we call effective 21st century community organizing. Um, so really excited to, to hopefully get that out within the next, um, I would say, month and a half. Um, I think hopefully that'll, that'll uh, make a big difference in, in giving people the tools to um, build the movement 10x. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Tully. And Sheridan, I think you are back. I hope you are back. I am indeed back. Yes. All right. Welcome back. Thank you very much. I'm Sheridan Lund. I manage a small business. And I've been a Yang Gang since November of 2018 when I was doing a uh, project for my business class on the implications of what business, uh, what a basic income could mean. And I found Andrew and I was amazed that someone was actually running on this idea, even though it's admittedly not enough. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Sheridan. All right. Well, um, I don't want to stop the lively open discussion that was happening. Why don't you go ahead and resume uh, while I prepare my notes and stuff for the uh, the moderated discussion. Give anybody else who's going to come in a few more minutes to come in. And uh, you know, at some point, when it makes sense to stop, uh, I'll I'll butt in and I'll say, okay, shall we do the moderated discussion? Hey, uh, real quick, we want to uh, introduce uh, Dan from Montana and uh, Faye. Oh, oh yes. I'm. I did. Thank you, Jeremy. I I have ADHD. I did not get back to them. <laughs> so sorry, guys. Dan and Faye, uh, how are you from a technical point of from a technical perspective? Testing one, two. Can you hear me? 
Yes, you sound great, Dan. Hello, please introduce yourself. <laughs> so I'm Welcome. Daniel Larson. Thank you for coming. Yeah, I'm uh, Daniel Larson. Um, thanks for having me on again. You guys have been very generous with your, your format here. Um, but I'm running for uh, U.S. Senate in the state of Montana, and I'm trying to um, push the UBI platform on the Republican side of, of things. Um, yeah, so uh, thank you. Can I say, dude, like, uh, like thus far, um, in the midst of this COVID crisis, um, I think the Republican Party has demonstrated itself to be more receptive to a, a UBI than the, the the Democratic Party, which, as uh, somebody who comes from a, a Democratic family, is is like a punch in the gut, but it's also very eye opening. So I, I I appreciate you, Mr. Larson. Um, I, I appreciate that you're bringing UBI or, or trying to bring UBI to the Republican platform because. Because, because if you're successful, I will proudly, uh, you know, change my shirt from blue to red. Yeah, and I, 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 think, I feel the same way. Thank you, thank you for for agreeing. I, yeah, I for articulating same, that. I feel the same way, Kevin. Um, <clears throat> it was an eye opener for me when I saw coming, having come over to Yang Gang from the burning camp, how um, so many of my former quote unquote comrades uh, were just outright horrible. You know, to the core, to the core, who really. You know, Bernie's federal jobs guarantee program would not have helped. And uh, it really was an eye opener for me. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, I've been batting for the wrong team. <laughs> and yeah, then, so, so, Jacqueline, so you, you say that you're that you're a former Bernie, but now you're on the Yang train, right? Oh, yeah. In fact, I, 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 I tell people I burned my commie card, but not my not my radical feminist card. It's kind of a joke because <laughs> I'm not really a radical feminist either. I'm just, you know. I'm just somebody who would like to see uh, a human, a humane centered or a humanity focused uh, society and economy and in a way that makes sense, which means that you can't just easily pigeonhole me. And that's like, I think true for most everybody else I've met in Yang gang uh, who are my friends is that they're, you can't just easily pigeonhole and label people. I mean, I'm, there's a, a lot of different ideas that I'm very sympathetic to that are not quote unquote from the quote unquote progressive uh, train. And I think when we, when we open our minds and we are allow ourselves to question ourselves and say, Hmm, does this make sense? That is where, you know, we can make change happen because then we start to question, well, what did I believe? What, what, how is this, you know, um, is this panning out? Uh, What, what am I observing? Uh, You know, and do a lot of intro- introspection right there. Uh, so, um, absolutely. I, like, I think most of us, j- j- just most of us being Americans, uh, don't really align 100% with, with either party. And it, it's really ridiculous. Um, and, and I don't want to go off in a third-party rant, but it is ridiculous that in a nation of over 300 million people, we're forced to choose. It's like, okay, this <laughs> Coke or Pepsi, you only have one choice, America. <laughs> Coke or Pepsi, that's it. So yeah. yeah, like like I uh, personally like Dr Pepper. You know, I, I like a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and I um, I wish politics w- was a little bit more nuanced. Yeah, and I think that there's a, a missing dialogue as far as um, even within the Republican Party, there's at least you know three or four different shades of gray um, that you can look at, and you know the Democratic um, Party has a there's some major issues with the establishments on both the left and the right, and I think that when we um, kind of self-identify as either a binary or Republican or Democrat, I think we're missing the opportunity of really taking back the power in the middle, you know? So I think that long-term for this 
um, especially like people that believe in UBI, but really people that believe in in more common sense solutions. They need to be fighting uh, for a populist vote in the middle and, and not necessarily something that divides us on both the left and the right. That's exactly right. I mean, the, the question that I'm asking myself is like, if Joe Biden were already president, would we have received any stimulus checks at, at all? Cause I, I doubt know, it. Because I don't know if he would. I doubt it. I, Kevin, I seriously doubt it. Um, Why? Well, because Joe Biden is great. He'll, you know, Andrew Yang can talk with him. I could see a federal jobs guarantee before a stimulus from Biden. Uh, and understand, understanding that why we need a UBI. But because of the fact that, and it's not nice to say this, but let's be honest here, Joe Biden is in mid-stage dementia from Alzheimer's. So any kind of conversation he might have had with Andrew Yang, he forgot 15 minutes after he walked out of the room. I, I don't think, I think that's going beyond our facts. Um, I, I think the narrative that he's, um, that he's uh, going through dementia right now uh, is largely based on sort of some, some cherry-picked um, like video. Um, he's, he's lifelong had a stutter um, and it affects the way he communicates sometimes. Um, but I've listened to fairly recent uh, kind of long form talks um, and he can trip up and he can sound kind of, I mean, he's a gaff machine that's been known for a long time. Um, but no, I, I don't uh, believe that he's uh, undergoing dementia necessarily. Um, well, I, I remember him from the 1980s because, you know, I've been around quite a while. Um, I mean, I'm not ancient, but I remember. And I can remember, I, I do notice that there is a significant difference in his ability to communicate and process things from 1988 and 1992. And I didn't like him back then, to be honest, mm. straight up. I felt the man was an asshole back then. I mean, but but honestly, like you don't even have to go back that far. Like even in 2012, when he when he uh, had that vice presidential debate with uh, Paul Ryan, I mean, he, he was still uh, an a hole, but he but at least he was uh, like in a better place cognitively because he he didn't have as many stutters and he and he just spoke more eloquently, uh, regardless of the substance of what he said. So you know, you, you don't have to go back that far. Like like comparing him now. So comparing him uh, just a couple of years ago, um, I, I, now, now I won't say that he has dementia. I, I wouldn't go that far. Um, but 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 even setting that aside, like even if, if Joe Biden was of perfect mental condition, um, we just have to look at his track record. Like, it, it, did he did he ever support anything that wasn't um, <clears throat> that that wasn't essentially a Republican policy? I don't think so. So you're saying you're saying that Joe Biden has just historically been uh, kind of more of a center right. Uh, candidate, but in the United States, that passes for a Democrat. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, if you look at uh, um, or in Iraq, um, he was kind of the uh, of mass incarceration in some ways. I'm not a huge I'm fan a, of Biden. I'll make that clear. But I think it's a better choice over Trump. But I, I also very much support what Dan was saying a moment ago, which is when we're thinking about you know red team, blue team, we're not really thinking about the issues with a clear, open mind. Um, which is what this movement, I believe, is about. It's about thinking harder, uh, getting past the two-party duopoly uh, that sort of pits us against each other on the grounds of a culture war, um, where we lose sight of the biggest issues, which I think is the fact that the middle class is gone. (laughs) 70% of people living paycheck to paycheck before the coronavirus. So um, that is a product of parties that are not serving the people. 
Uh, and Dan's right. We need to get uh, the people, whether they lean left or right, uh, working together on the things that matter to all of us. Absolutely. Yeah. I just think it's a shame that they put somebody up with the problems that Joe Biden has to run up against uh, the incumbent president because, you know, there it's it's just going to be a disaster. It's it's 2016 version 2.0. Yeah, you're right. I agree with that, Jacqueline. Yeah, I, I also think, like, yeah. to your guys' point earlier uh, about, you know, him being a, l- a little bit uh, kind of on the red side, uh, Obama has came out saying, and this is because the, the gap has widened so far, uh, he said, you know, if I was to come out and run now, I would be painted as a moderate Republican. Um, yeah. Because... The, the left has gotten so far left and the right has gotten so far right. Uh, and I think ranked choice voting and, and, you know, many of the, many of you that know me know that uh, I'm huge on ranked choice voting. I'm huge on uh, squashing Citizens United and democracy dollars. And that, that uh, we need other parties to be able to uh, make their case, state their case, uh, and we the two car the two party system is is over and done with. Uh, we're not, we're really not going to get a lot done with the widening gap uh, in the the two party system. Fred, so, uh, um, Fred, are, are you uh, are, are you currently broadcasting this from the inside of your car? Uh, I am. <laughs> Man, that's like your trademark, isn't it? <laughs> that's that's your yeah. studio. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's right. Like every stream that I've ever seen that has you on it, you're always inside the car. I I, I love it. It's it's just hilarious. Sorry, well, I didn't want to get go moving off. stuff as an essential worker right now. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Thank uh, hey, you, Fred. Yeah. Hey, Fred, are you still rocking that uh that Freedom Dividend trailer? I am. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. Man. Yeah. And Texas for Yang has more than one. He's got multiples on the road, right? Yeah. There's three. There's three of them on, out. Out here on the in the country, you know, going throughout the countryside. Uh, but um, yeah, it's uh, you know, thousand dollars per month, and I and I I was uh, smart enough to put for every American, no questions asked, right? No questions asked. So my favorite part of the trailer is the no questions asked. And yeah, I mean, look at how much value we we're getting out of uh, those truck wraps. And they're continuing on and on and on, all the way through the um, even even after the suspension. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, me and Solar are currently under talks. You know, and what you know, what direction we're gonna go. Um, we don't feel like uh, rapid trucks anymore. It may may or may not be. It may or may not be uh, the way to go because we we were uh, we, hey, we were up against we we were up against a huge. Uh, name recognition issue, but now uh, UBI doesn't have a name recognition issue and neither does Andrew Yang anymore. Well, uh, well, um, I'm sorry, did you say that, that Andrew Yang does not have a name recognition problem? Uh, not not near to the uh, the the uh, way we did when, you know, in 2018 and 19. We were oh, oh yeah, no, that, that's definitely true. It, like, Andrew Yang is, is objectively a lot more well-known uh, today than he was just two years ago, um, but but I, I do think he still has uh, some way to go because 
honestly, when I even try to bring up, and, and this is purely anecdotal, so not scientific by any means, but when I do try to try to talk politics with like my friends or, or, or just people who I work with, um, and if I mention Yang specifically, uh, universally their their reaction is is to just like you know, shrug the shoulders and say who. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so, so I'm a little curious, uh, Fred. What kinds of reactions do you still get now, if any? Because you know you're you're an essential worker, and there's not as many people out. Uh, I haven't. I mean, I've got a few negative reactions. But like I just had uh, two hours ago, somebody, you know, honked at me as I'm running down the street, you know, so I've had a few positive and a few negative, you know, uh, up, I mean, I've had up into, you know, negative uh, where people would get on the CB and say something, right? Or somebody at the fuel island, I had two, two people, separate occasions, say, you know, uh, use a racial slur and, you know, like, what the fuck do you have, you know? Some Chinaman on the on the side of your truck. The fuck is that about? I mean, the, you know? that actually does bring up a, a question that I've I've been having like in my mind because you, you know how irrational and nonsensical racism is. Like with the whole the, the whole like coronavirus Chinese virus like controversy. It, it, is it possible that this could actually like in, have an indirect effect on Adrian going forward? Like if in twenty twenty four he decides to run again, like the fact that he's of Asian descent. Um, is it at all possible, you think, that the coronavirus uh, could have that effect on him, on, on perception? Firm yes. Firm yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, I think uh, it, it could, it depends on the narrative <laughs> and how it's spun, right? So, it, it, you know, if we, if we come at it from an education angle, you know, and like you know, Tully was Tully likes to say there's a difference, and Andrew says it too. You know, but Tully has the experience with China. He likes to say there's a difference between uh, the Chinese government and the Chinese people. Obviously, you know, Andrew's you know not Chinese, but uh, he's Asian. So uh, to to the uneducated voter, everybody get, unfortunately, you know. It was even a joke at the in South Carolina by one of the comics, not not Dave. Is like everybody gets lumped in as Chinese, right? If you're wow. Asian, you know. So I think so. I think I think it could hurt him if the narrative is not spun correctly. I think he's doing an excellent job spinning narrative. I think the I think the name Andrew Yang is more associated now with coronavirus relief than it is coronavirus. Yeah. I would hope so. I would sincerely hope so. Yeah. I mean, and nobody has been has been more committed at the fore of having a social floor through which no one can fall, whether in the face of a coronavirus epidemic or an automation epidemic or any other kind of um, uh, thing that the deluge, you know, the you know people in this country's uh, ability to survive. Nobody has been more committed to that than Andrew Yang. Yeah, the racism that I've uh, that I've experienced in regards to the truck uh, obviously has nothing to do with coronavirus. It's just uh, you know that what, you know what do you have this guy on the side of your truck, right? You know, and people have used racial slurs uh, in the, in the you know talking about it, right? Deeply. And I, 
But Fred, um, this you're saying that this has been happening throughout the campaign until now, or only more recently? If it's happening more recently, you have to consider it does have to do with rising insecurity and it's racism. Only happened, you know, it's, a, you know, it's only happened a few yeah. times. I had somebody say something to me about three weeks ago, and then I had somebody say something to me about two months ago, and then uh, about an, I think it's happened three times, right? You're, vicar- you're kind of vicariously experiencing it indirectly because of this, uh, in the sense that, you, you know, you're not Asian, but just having the Asian on your truck is uh, allowing you to get a little yeah, taste so, of what it's like to be Asian so right was, now. <laughs> there, was, there, was, there was three different levels. There was, what do you have some Chinese dude, right? What do you have some Chinaman? And then the other word I won't use, but it's a C word, right? Um, there's, you know... Uh, and those were the three questions, right? And with the guy that said, what do you have, some Chinese dude, right? Uh, he, he was a southern 40-ish black guy, owner-operator, and he was heavy into the Second Amendment. I was like, uh, and he's a Trump voter, right? And I said, uh, uh, I, he, he said something about Democrats. And I said, yeah, I, I've, never, I, I've, never, I've never have voted for a Democrat. Right. Um, and I'm not about left to right. You know, I just want to get problems solved and get money into people's hands. And, uh, you know, he brought up the Second Amendment. And I said, well, what I like about Andrew Yang's policies is they use technology uh, with the Second Amendment so that so that we don't have to take guns out of people's hands and we can still be, give people their liberty and use technology uh, to to render those guns. Uh, more safe. And he was like, well, I'm going to, and he, he did say, you know, I'm going to check this guy out, you know? Absolutely. So, yeah. Uh, hey, Dan, I'd like to kind of toss that uh, subject um, with the issue of, of uh, the second amendment. And, uh, you know, the income, uh, what is your situation like over there in Montana? So the second amendment that I'm able to, from the Yang platform, uh, the thing that I use most is uh, uh, the conversation around data rights. Also, there is, a big conversation to be had about uh, like the Patriot Act, for example. And I think that in the COVID-19 times, it, it's another sort of place of high, high amounts of fear, um, additional government overreach. So there is a conversation about like First Amendment rights now that's, that's popping up. And um, I think when we talk about what people are truly concerned about, the, the issue with um, like the democratic establishment for example, is that people have been told that if the democratic establishment gets a gets a hold of power, then then your um, Second Amendment rights are gone, and that those voices or or that conversation has been driven by a lot of corporations and a lot of sort of uh, far right um, donor bases, and and it's just a distraction to try to keep the political. Uh, divided narrative going. So um, there's a couple of very substantial things about universal basic income that are able to uh, appease some gun rights um, voters as well as uh, some some pro-choice voters as far as, you know, if, if your highest um, gun deaths in the United States of America are uh, suicides, then the, the 
the best thing you can do is, is try to reduce the, the number of gun deaths by a more responsible conversation. And that is giving people a level of optimism, a level of outlook in which they're, they're not as, um, in that case, depressed. But it also applies to um, fear. You know, people do whatever they can to survive. And if you, if you improve the base floor for everybody, then some of these things that tr people are truly afraid of as far as um, criminal elements that you can't control, um, you know, uh, extremism, you know, the, the breakdown of society, the best thing you can do is, is promote the, um, some of the fabric back together. So I know that was long winded, but I, I apologize. Uh, um, I have a question. So, um, Mr. Larson, uh, you, uh, as a Republican running uh, on a explicitly UBI platform, um, what, what challenges, uh, specifically, uh, or, or what, what, um, arguments do people give you? Um, against it? Like, w what do you hear from voters? Yeah, so <laughs> I had a fun one uh, Friday. It was a, a guy out of Billings, Montana, and he was, uh, you know, a, a pro-Trump voter, uh, very right-wing, was willing to talk to me against the establishment quite a bit. And then I'm like, well, you know, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm for this thing called universal basic income. And if you get a lot, enough space in the conversation, you're able to... to um, talk about some of the things, especially when it comes to the existing social safety net. And in this time, you see the, so in the COVID-19 space, a lot of people have seen it directly, right? So you have unemployment insurance um, as one of the tools that they've, they've put out to stimulate the economy. But now you've got a workforce that is making more than they were making before. And then their, their incentive to return to work is, is, um, mitigated. And then you have the fact that all of these corporations have received money in which that's a, a very inappropriate effect. Um, and once you start talking about like how we spend money and how efficient e existing spending is, um, the UBI starts sounding like a better solution. It's, it's almost a one-to-one -one for per dollar spent. And then you can really go after some of these more libertarian things as far as um, reducing the footprint of the government overall. And, and, uh, he, he's a voter. And I think that's because I spent a lot of time with him, but, uh, it's, it's one of those things that if, if I had more people that were talking about UBI every day to the people they knew in Montana, um, I would have a, a greater base of support that could match what it would take to spend the, you know, the thousands of hours that it would take to get, uh, enough voters just on UBI alone. Yeah, well, one thing that I that I notice is that when it comes to UBI, a lot of the arguments that I hear are from a left wing perspective. But uh, one one very interesting right wing perspective uh, on it uh, came from someone who who I remember they said that uh, that a, a UBI would actually be great for having stronger uh, stronger borders. And you know, re regardless of, of what you may think of that, um, his reasoning was is that if he, if if American citizens have this universal basic income, then they will be be more. Uh, that there will be more defensive of that citizenship. And so the, uh, hence they'll be more in favor of a strong border. So um, if, if I were in your position um, and if I were, if I were making a right wing case for it, that, that definitely be uh, one of my arguments without a doubt. Yeah. Um, and uh, Dan, I, 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 I meant to get with you, by the way, I'm, I've been, uh, and we'll uh, probably pick up next week. Um, I want to I want to talk to you in depth. Um, one of the things that 
I have had success with with people on the right is uh, sharing sharing with them uh, the fact that like fifty percent of all Americans are on some sort of subsidy, and then and then you know if they're a Trump voter or if they're a Republican that has money, uh, explaining catering to their their like speaking to their inner tribalism and saying that okay, I mean, do you think do you think it's fair that all these people, uh, you know, create all these kids and they live on welfare and they're, uh, you know, like their kids get all these, all these programs, but your kids don't even have access to the very same programs that they pay for because you're the one that's paying for it because you're in the, you're in the highest tax bracket. And they're like, well, yeah, I think that's unfair. And then you go back to them and say, okay, well, don't you think it's about time for your kids to have access to some of the programs that you're paying for? And they're like, well, yeah, okay. And I'm like, okay, so your kid's about to go to college. We can send little Johnny off to college with $3,000 in his pocket. And they're like, well, yeah. So you, you your wife, and Johnny are going to have $3,000, you know, $1,000. So we can send Johnny off to college with $3,000 a month in his pocket. And all he has to do is get a part-time job making, you know, fifteen hundred, two grand uh, a month. And he, you know, he's sitting at 50, 60 grand a year and he's in college. You know, I mean, does that make sense? And they're like, yeah, that actually does make sense. There's also a lot of reticence, you know, from people who, from poverty, who did all the, quote, right things that those with privilege tell us not to do. That is, don't have kids you can't afford. Well, I didn't. And yet... I never got helped because I didn't have kids and now I'm disabled and I'm over 50 and I'm being told that even though I'm medically disabled enough for an SSI check of 700 a month. Okay. I would have to first get a divorce from my husband and go be homeless and have zero income at all. Zero, nothing, you know, not even dribs and drabs of occasional, you know, charity gifts from friends who've been helping me, you know, in order to survive. Uh, in order to get uh, an SSI check. And to me, that is such a huge slap in the face because when I got married, okay, and this means a lot to me because I'm a survivor of child sex trafficking. I was homeless and orphaned at age 12, which is how I got trafficked. I lost my family. Understand this. I had zero help from this society that, that turned a blind eye and let this happen to me. Zero help with rebuilding my life after I escaped that situation, you know, uh, at age 17 with just a seventh grade education and then had to overcome all these tremendous obstacles to make up for the education my traffickers didn't let me get. You know, while homeless, I earned a, a degree in math, a STEM degree, while literally homeless and eating from garbage cans. And throughout all my life, I never had access to medical care. And because of, of being up against the barriers of classism, because of being visibly poor and having a stigmatizing record as a direct result of having been a trafficking victim, I never got a chance for a job. And yet, because I, you know, I did all these right things. And because I didn't have kids, I could never get any help. If it wasn't for the ACA expansion of, of Medicaid, I as it now I'm that I'm 53 and diabetic, I'd be dead because I wouldn't even be able to get my insulin. And Medicaid does not even pay for the $600 a month I need to, to co somehow come up with which I can't right now to pay for my diabetic testing supplies so I don't have to wing it with my doses. And I think there's a lot of justifiable resentment 
from people who did do all these right things only to get nothing but a huge slap in the face. We're told by the right that we deserve to suffer and be poor because, you know, if we had just, you know, tried harder, we wouldn't be poor. And then we get it from the left because we don't have kids. So there's a lot of, you know, reasons why people resent, you know, the current uh, social safety net system is that, you know, you can do all the right things. And despite a huge amount of existential barriers and, you know, crap that happened to you that you did not bring upon yourself and you're just thrown away. You're just thrown away. UBI is the one thing that says, hey, no, you're a human being and you didn't deserve to be thrown away. Here you go. And I'll tell you what, with the lack of help I got from our system, I think at UBI, I could, I can, with the knowledge and skills that I do have, I could forge my own way up out of poverty, not knowing how many years I got left to do it since I'm 53 and diabetic. I probably won't even live to see 65. But, uh, you know, the, the, the rest of the system has been an utter and, and complete sick, cruel joke. Just sickening. When I got married, I, it's like I finally, you know, have, had this opportunity to, to form a, a partnership and a lifelong bond with somebody and have family once again after losing that as a trafficking victim, as, as a 12-year-old little girl who was orphaned. And now this system and society is telling me, in so many words, pardon my French, fuck you, Jacqueline. You don't deserve to have a family. You don't deserve to have that husband that you love. You know, when I got married, I did not say to have and to hold, to love and to cherish, you know, it's in sickness and in health till death do us part, unless the state do us part. If I become disabled or never get a break in life to get a chance for a job and, and have a normal life. My yeah. vows were to have and to hold, to love and to cherish in sickness and in health till death do us part. Not to have and to hold, to love and to cherish until the state do us part if I become medically disabled and can't ever get a chance. And believe this, if you don't get a chance to make it out of poverty before you're 40 under the current system, <clears throat> it, it's, it's pretty much a done deal, you know? And I think that this comes into play when I was talking earlier about we need to have an honest conversation about poverty, this is what I'm talking about. Yeah, Folks, I can, can, I, can I jump in here? Go ahead. Sorry. No, don't be sorry. That it, your voice is so uh, powerful, and um, it, uh, I, I think it really shows the, the need for some kind of safety net. And uh, anybody listening to that would have to think like we've got to have ways to 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 help uh, american people um poof we need uh, to have an economic floor unfortunately our net is too obtuse to account for every minuscule potential possibility and but allowing uh, allowing unelected clerks to decide who is deserving of prosperity and who is undeserving is cruel and not of the government's domain I think there's I think there's three uh, main forces here uh, in American life that have brought us to where we are. Um, one of them is corporatism. Um, even before Citizens United, and I think 2011, uh, there was a case Buckley versus Vallejo, 1976, um, which opened the floodgates, so to speak, for for money in politics. We've had an increasing influx of money in politics. And now we have a fundamentally corrupt system and everybody sees it. 
Dan, I'm sure you would agree. The right and the left, we agree about this. This is like a populist truth. Everybody's on board and agrees that Washington is absolutely corrupt and the problem is money and politics. Okay, but there's a couple other issues going on. One of them is deunionization. Andrew Yang himself said, and, and I quote, he said, the destruction of the middle class has gone hand in hand with the decimation of labor unions. What's going on there is that people have lost power. And when you don't have power, you get fucked. So the war on normal people is being lost because we don't have people power. And we've started to believe the lie that was spread by McCarthyism uh, and uh, just mental pattern recognition among humans that organizing is something that belongs to the radical left. That is not the case. Organizing is as American as apple pie. It is how people build the power to be able to not get fucked. So those are two huge things. We've gone from about 35% union membership to about 10%. And when when you have 35% uh, union power, guess what happens to the other 65% of people? They get paid better. So since Ronald Reagan and this all-out decades-long assault on American unions – there's been this massive decoupling of uh, productivity. Productivity has been going up, 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 but people's pay just flatlined around 1960, 70, 80. What the hell happened? Loss of union power. And then finally, the third force that's underlying everything that's going on here is um, you, you have to just say it. You have to put it out there and say it. it, it, it is racism. Okay, the fact that we are racially diverse as a society uh, leads to a sort of distrust. Uh, Whereas if you look at countries um, that have uh, racially homogenous makeup, they have a greater sense of trust and they have no problem with a greater safety net. But in the United States, there's a distrust and a concern that people uh, who don't look like them are going to be taken care of. And people get upset about that. That's the genesis. That is the root of the problems that we're talking about. And a lot of these issues, um, I don't want to make this partisan, but but the fact is that that uh, the, the United States, at least ideologically speaking, has been pulled so far right as a result of corporatism and deunionization. These 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 two forces. Um, and um, the even the Democrats who've been elected, folks like Bill Clinton have been architects of means testing as a response to radical right-wing ideology and the need to justify welfare spending. When in fact, it's clear that we need to have some kind of social safety net to prevent experiences like those. Floor. I'd go with floor. Totally. Well, the floor is the best way to do it. Everybody here agrees. But but uh, what we need to do more effectively is reach out and not just we, – we've gotten really good in the Yang gang of talking to conservatives. We're not very effective at uh, persuading liberals. Oh, um, totally. And Andrew Yang is, is, is uh, running as a, as a Democrat. So we need to get more effective at per- persuading uh, Democrats to win a Democratic primary because um, that's what you need to do if you're going to be the candidate. I well, I mean, about- so many Democrats uh, – oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, thank you. Um, I was talking about this earlier about how you make this message palpable to incrementalist moderate uh, voters who don't want to see big sweeping change, but they know change has to happen. And we all know that the end result is going to be a basic income before 2024 of 
probably over 30,000 a year so that everyone can live their own life independently. But we can't get there immediately. So one of the incrementalist ways that uh, moderate Democrats really like is the carbon tax. An interesting uh, way to change the carbon tax and dividend is instead of taxing carbon as it's emitted, remove the national security subsidies from fossil fuel companies and put that into a citizen's dividend. So you're no longer investing as a government in oil, but investing in people directly. There you go. I, and that would I be really, a small I, incremental change they could swallow. I would really be for that, right? Uh, as well as I really like uh, Zoltan's way of uh, paying I, for the dividend. I highly dislike Zoltan's way because, unfortunately, Zoltan creates new value similar to the uh, $2 trillion coins idea. And I think the trillion dollar coins idea is far more manageable than selling big business the resources of our natural lands. Are you or are what you Andrew Yang was suggesting, which was taxing our current production, which is often surplus and maldistributed as is. Are you talking about uh, uh, who's the other libertarian Adam Kokesh's coins program? No, this is specifically Zoltan's. He was very, very loudly bragging about how he wanted to nationalize our national forests so big business could extract oil, minerals at cost, and that money would fund a basic income. Uh, I, I think in regards to the uh, coin thing, that um, um, meant the well, coin by, uh, I forget her name. I was also- uh, Rashida Tlaib, I believe, is the initial one, but the whole squad's on for the coin. I, I have issues with Zoltan uh, that are unrelated to that. I really tried to like the guy. Who's Zoltan? I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. He is one of the smaller uh, third parties. He's running on universal basic income. He, Republican. Uh, I tried to like him. I wanted to. I tried. But when he started talking nonsense about the COVID epidemic, it just flies in the face of what the frontline people in hospitals who work in the hospitals are telling us. Um, I found it just deeply disturbing and that he was demanding that we reopen the economy right away and mentioned that his you know stock portfolio was hemorrhaging. And he, he blurted out on Facebook, I shorted the S&P index today. And I got on there since I have some knowledge and experience with trading. And I said, Zoltan, I sincerely hope that what you mean is you bought a couple of VIX calls and went long on the VIX and not wrote naked calls on the spy, right? So that that way you can cushion any loss that you have and, in fact, profit from the volatility on the downside. Jacqueline, And I just left it at that. (laughs) You highlight exactly my problem with Zoltan and most modern corporatists they are short-term gain over long-term thinking it's evict the tenant who lost their job instead of waiving the rental fee during this crisis because that tenant is still going to be there you may not find another tenant even if the economy recovers because there may not be any more tenants there are also that's the problem yeah there's also the fact that about Half of those, and we saw this happen before. I saw this happen um, as a young 40-year-old, you know, Xer when the crash of 08 happened. 
is that half of the people that have been surplused out of the economy, that have been pushed out of jobs, will not be returning. There will not be jobs for them to return to. And this is now the older millennials, okay, that are entering their 40s, which is just in time for age discrimination to kick in. This is what happened to people who are my age, you know. Well, it's like people, you know, Mm. think that, you know, oh, well, you know, we can just, you know, go go through with the status quo and just, you know, not do anything to help. Well, well, the funny thing is there's age discrimination on both ends. When I was really young and I was in middle school, I was always wondering and asking my teachers, what the hell does learning all this random shit have to do with the rest of my life? I want (laughs) to learn about like money and how business works and all these things. And you're not you're not telling me how these things work. You're just filling up my head with a bunch of random facts and making me regurgitate them on a piece of paper. They said, oh, Ariel, you don't understand. You don't have to worry about that stuff right now. Now, when you get older, all that stuff just comes to you naturally, and you'll miss us, and you want to thank us when we get out of here. Just don't worry about it. When you grow up, it'll all come together, and you shouldn't be thinking about this stuff when you're so young. And then I grow up, and then I found, hey, asshole, you were full of shit. I want to smack you across the face. And I was right when I was in middle school, and I said all that stuff to you, and you are an idiot. And here I am. Absolutely right. Ariel. Sorry, I just want to say, Ariel, you may be upset, and rightfully so, but look at the bright side. At least you've expanded your horizons. Right, I expanded <laughs> my horizons. Hooray, now I'm poor. Bunch of dumbass. No, sorry. <laughs> when someone tells you you'll learn it naturally, you should immediately tell them nothing is naturally learned. You are You either are taught it or you observe it. That's right. And anybody who pushes that kind of a narrative, um, quite frankly, I'm sorry. Our schooling system. They are an idiot that ought to be arrested for possession of brains with intent to use. Because if it was all about absorbing and learning by osmosis, then why the heck aren't little kids turlet training themselves? Common sense. Why aren't little kids, why aren't aren't two-year-olds turlet training themselves? Can I ask what what is the um, sort of what are we hoping to get out of this roundtable? Is it just kind of chatting, shooting the shit? The, the opportunity <laughs> for me to finally get to meet you, Tolly. Totally. Uh, check out the text yeah. chat there, Tolly. It's uh, labeled "chat" above the voice channel. Yeah. By the way, yeah, there's about, a moderated roundtable discussion yeah. that we are prepared to have at any time. But I, I'm not going to interrupt this conversation. What? So we we have so, well, so no. The show is not just like shooting so, the shit. It's uh, it's. It's UBI the, and electoral yeah. bonds. Yes. So, could, could, could I quickly just just address something that Tolly said uh, um, a couple of minutes ago? Um, sure. So, so you said uh, that America's racial heterogeneity, um, the fact that we're diverse, uh, is actually it, it. You can make the argument that it's uh, not for the better because in, in homogeneous countries, they're more trusting of one another and more willing to accept so, uh, social programs. Um, so, so I I have my own views on that, but 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 even if we accept that 100 percent to be the case, uh, what what then is is the solution? Because America isn't going to go back to being all white. It's it's going it is what it is. Like we're we're a, a diverse nation, and every projection shows that's that's only going to continue. So if we're just going to say, oh well, you know, homo, uh, we're not homogeneous, so we we can't trust one another then why even advocate for UBI in the first place? Why not just throw your hands up? I think... Uh, so we did... So, 
I have so much to say. I've been trying to get in. Go ahead, Fred. Uh, but, uh, back to uh, before everybody went on the Zoltan thing, right? I just wanted to say, like, there's other ways. There's other ways to uh, pay for the universal basic income that have been uh, mentioned. Uh, there's also a water dividend that uh, uh, that uh, a guy out of California is is talking about. There's also a guy that his plan I really really like is we turn the Federal Reserve uh, in, into a credit union. And in a credit union, uh, because the Federal Reserve, when they just passed the $484 billion uh, stimulus for the, for small business and medium-sized business just recently, uh, they go to the Federal Reserve, say, hey, give me four, $484 billion. And the Federal Reserve says, okay, I'm going to need that back. Uh, in tax revenue, we're going to charge you know you uh, a percentage, you know six percent on this four hundred eighty-four billion, and that adds to our national debt. So, what we could do is, in a credit union, the profits from the bank actually go to its members. Uh, so that's another way. There's a ton. There's tons of different ways that. Actually, there's a uh, direct model very similar to what you're discussing in Islamic banks. They actually don't issue debt. Instead, they buy assets like households, businesses, and then they will give that business to whoever is applying to it and let them make the best of it and get the rent or uh, repayment or whatever because they believe Ursary charging money for money is a sin right that you you know going off what tully said i think like the best thing that we can think of right now is how we move the needle in a direction that we want to the political needle needle so when you're on these calls with like your elected representatives if you ever manage to get through and not just get a clerk or even if you get a clerk maybe like an idea is like record it See what kind of responses you get. See what they're talking about. Like, like dive in to why they're not moving the needle in our direction and then make that go public. And then Fred had the idea of like lobbying the lobbyists. So I think that if we just, if it's not just about talking and getting something done, let's come up with ideas to get something done, write them down, uh, uh, implement them, and then come back with the data of what happened after we implemented them. I think that's a very practical thing. I mean, I don't know what well, you guys, uh, I'm sorry, button real quick. Um, can you guys hear me? Uh, hold on, guys. We'll get back to that in a second. But Faye keeps telling me, uh, rightfully so, uh, that I should remind people that might not be paying attention to the chat. Please pay attention to the chat for production notes. And um, I and I know if you're not familiar with Discord, then that's totally fine. You have no idea that you should do that. And uh, actually, perhaps I've never made it explicit to you. It's just kind of a thing we grew into doing. It's been very helpful. But but uh, I put this in the chat a while ago. So uh, type ready in the chat when you personally feel like now is the time to move from the preliminary open discussion to the moderated discussion. We'll start um, when we reach a unanimous consensus. If we I never just... run out of open discussion, that's fine. If the recording session runs past 5.30 without reaching the moderated discussion portion, then we'll cut the recording at 6 and everyone can just send me a recording of their responses to our weekly topics. And we'll present that in a separate podcast. So uh, so please continue, uh, Jacqueline. Yes, I just wanted to address what Tully said about what was the purpose for this. 
Guess what, Tully? A lot of us who are Yang Gang, who are the most impacted by policy in this country, are the ones who are the most invisibilized. We're talked about and talked over as if we're not even there. Nobody. Well, don't worry, Jacqueline. Let, let me let me uh, help you out with us, this. And that's why we're. I, I'm here presenting. With, how many people do you hear from that are from the very bottom, that are from generational poverty, that were homeless for two thirds of their adult life because they were shut out of jobs because of being a trafficking survivor. Not many. Well, you've yeah, set but, that one now. And it's no, like, I hear you, I hear you Jacqueline. Um, the, the, uh, that shouldn't be. And that's right. why this platform exists is so that people who previously don't, you know, weren't included or listened to while we were talked about and pontificated to were completely yeah. overlooked. This so, platform does not do that. Right. There's a reason that you're invisible. There's a reason that uh, we yep. normal people are increasingly invisible and ignored. Yep. It is because we do not yep. have power. It all comes down to power. Uh, well, the, the fact is that politically speaking, the United States unionization rate is 10.3% in Canada, which is also multiracial and very diverse. One tenth of the population of ours in Canada, unionization rate is 28.8%. Okay. When you have normal people organized, they can become an army and they can get shit done. When you are disorganized, you do not have any political power. And that's what it comes down to. So Ariel, I think it was Ariel, uh, may have been Jeremy, was talking about um, sort of like going and seeing what these elected officials are, are, are talking about. Yeah, that was and me. Thinking, and thinking about their, their opinions and changing their opinions. This has nothing to do with changing anybody's minds. The reason that normal people are getting fucked in America is because normal people don't have power because they are disorganized. And, and Kevin, to answer your question, what do we do? We organize. Normal people are going to have to get organized. Into- May I jump in here? <laughs> yeah, and just- I'd like to hear from Faye. Just a moment, Faye, before you do. Um, I acknowledge and I understand that there's a stigma here and people associate organizing with the Bernie Sanders left and that's bullshit, okay? Uh, the the um, fact is that the First Amendment uh, is like th- three-fifths about organizing. Speech, petition, assembly. The founding fathers knew that giving us the ability to organize as, as a political group so that you could represent your interests and have the power to force your representatives to make policies that help normal people. That was so fundamental to having a, a, an operational democracy. Um, now it's completely dysfunctional. And you guys have all seen it. The, the graph where there's now a flat line. Um, there's no relationship between the popularity of a policy and whether or not it gets passed. It's because None. normal people are divided, arguing about guns and abortion. Um, and they're not, uh, there's not Something enough that- power to get shit done for us. So we have to right, organize. Go ahead. Uh, I feel, so I feel an urgency to jump in right here. First of all, I'm going to introduce myself. Uh, my name is Faye Ku, and I've been on the Roundtable podcast before, so probably some of our listeners know me. Um, just in case, I'm also on the Yang Gain uh, Report live um, on Facebook, and uh, you can find me at Palestine Math. Um, so I'm I'm want to jump in on the organizing because we had one of our topics was about uh, operate uh, maybe a general strike on May Day, and uh, there are people who've been calling for that because. More than once on May Day, the original reason for May Day being picked is an important day in working class history. 
dating all the way back to the 19th century, where several workers were murdered for protesting against harsh working conditions during the Haymarket Affair in Chicago. So this is a very American May Day. And um, before we jump into that, uh, you know, everyone else talking about that, um, I just want to say that uh, I have a friend who is a little bit older, and he often talks to me. Uh, I've been doing private tutoring, so sometimes I teach him math, and we're doing some math together. Uh, but the interesting thing is he says to me, uh, Faye, what have you been doing? And I tell him, you know, I'm live streaming this. I'm participating in these Zoom calls uh, on this podcast. And he says to me, well, so you're just hanging out with your friends. You know, he says, you're not going to get anything done that way. You have to, you know, use the Robert, what is it, the Robert rules of uh, order. Uh, you have to use, you know, you have to have a secretary. You've got to take the meeting. You've got to jot down all this stuff. And then you've got to present the minutes to all the people. And that's how you get stuff done, Faye. And I was like, hmm. You know, I mean, he has Robert a point so in some old. sense. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking Everybody knows. You know, you use it in all your uh, Congress and all these different bodies that, uh, in the, you know. When Sounds you go, like it, Toastmasters, but go ahead. Right, right. Uh, well, Toastmasters is something different, but uh, but, the, but the point is that, um, you know, we are actually doing that. We've got a Yang Gang Slack, all right? Not everybody signed up to do that. And uh, we have some of those things going on in all these different uh, Discord servers. The, the podcasting is a totally different thing. We're like the new CNN. We're the new voices. Right, so we're supposed to be here talking to amongst ourselves, not just amongst ourselves, but also to other people who are listening, and they are thinking about uh, the things that we're talking about. This is definitely important, and so I was like, you know, I had to talk that out with my friends and explain to him that yes, we are getting stuff done, we are organizing, and in order to do that, you have to join more than just listening to the podcast. They have to actually go out and do that volunteering. So join Dan Larson's campaign. Help him out with um, the phone banking or the text banking because we can't go knocking door to door right now. We're not going to do another Iowa, <laughs> right? And so in this slack, all right, then you can participate in groups that are actually getting this stuff. And these podcasts are about letting everybody know all the different ways that we can be participating right now. And I'd love to find out what you guys think about this general strike. Would that help us right now or is that just another, you know, just a uh, uh, False show of power. What 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 could happen oh, with that? I would really like to discuss. I think this. it's interesting how. Well, I'm, so sorry, uh, we, uh, I'm sorry, guys. Hey, we, we haven't heard Dan for a while. Uh, Dan, do you want to chime in? Yeah. <laughs> well, Faye said so much, um, but the uh, what she was saying about it is very important, and there also is because there's a lot of people that work for me that get frustrated at the same level. So there's a lot of people that are activated and they're they're passionate right now, but they don't know how to exactly use that, that, that activism and space. And then there's some disorganization on top of it and all this other stuff. But the most powerful, powerful thing that we're doing here, like in this discussion is we're actually the message of what the impact for universal basic income is going to be much bigger than any politician uh, can provide on their own. It's everybody's individual stories, everybody's individual reasons why. You know, and it doesn't need to be just a talking point. It's a it's a movement. But uh, so, yeah, sure, you can join campaigns. You can volunteer. There's people that are 100 percent committed. But uh, when we're talking about organization, what it really is, is reaching out. And it, we're not just talking to each other. We're talking outside of this group. So it's like imagine if every member that was activated or everybody that cared about this at all was talking to 
you know, say a minimum of two to three people a day, you know, this would become exactly enough voters, you know, say 10 and a half million voters right down the middle that could get, you know, help get potentially 20 UBI candidates or 25 UBI candidates elected, but this cycle, but long-term um, we're building something that in two years would be potentially one of the biggest political forces um in congressional politics for sure um and it might influence uh, some senate elections and so we have to stop living inside the paradigm that was handed to us so we've been handed a corporate paradigm and it is the voice that divides us it is the voice that says you know that calls out racism it i mean or that stokes up racism it is the voice that stokes up fear it is the voice that um rails against globalism and things like that. But it, what it does is it distracts us. So before we slip into the darkness, let's take this activiz- activation that we have and and try to grow people's understanding. And it's more than just universal basic income. It's It really is that math concept. It is applying smarter policy right at the center of the issues that, that we're facing. So um, that was my rant for today. Sorry about that. I, I want to talk about the organizing portion and particularly the racial portion uh, that uh, Tully was talking about. Um, every day in low-income, uh, brown and black community, women and children, men die, whatever, right? But we also see uh, the, the biggest thing that can create a bill is a married 35 and over white woman dying, right? Or that is threatened. And that this is Fred, this is a uh, there was something you mentioned earlier, and I wanted to uh, talk about it before we uh, start talking about the strike. I do have some thoughts on the uh, May Day first uh, general strike. When we're can talking you let, about, can you let uh, Fred uh, finish his train of thought, and then we'll jump uh, over to that. So, so in terms of organizing, right? Um, the idea that I that, uh, the idea that I have in mind about uh, letting basically. Funding a study uh, or using existing studies and coming coming up with a elevator pitch, and I'm going I'm going to do this. I'm working on it now. That I'm going to organize with people and actually uh, I want to protest. Uh, I want to protest or uh, uh, corporations not with hate but with love, demanding that they automate right because their product is too expensive. And saying that not not that low class not that low class people can't afford it, but that 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 married thirty five and over upper class upper crust white women can't afford it, right? And because that is the because those are the those are the women those women uh, they they actually hold the purse string to to Americans uh, uh, consumerism, right? So. Uh, you know, like if you want to sell an item, convince a 35 and over white woman that she needs it and you'll be a millionaire, period. Right. So what? So basically, I think we need to organize around proving to uh, to not to politicians, because politicians are going to have to get on the phone to their corporate interests. We need to prove to the corporations that they need to lobby for themselves and their customers. So we deny our humanity and we turn ourselves into 
customers and without money their customers are not are not going to be able to purchase their product and then they're going to go under their stock is going to tank right so i really believe that we've got to stop clamoring the the, the, the death saying that uh we're poor and we need this they don't give a fuck about us poor people they don't care they don't and we've got to stop living with this expectation that uh that corporations and congress are going to give a fuck about this they don't give a fuck right they care about their own and their own kind revolution so, all right yeah, yeah let's, let's give uh, let's give kevin right, a, right. something to say we need to show that their own kind is threatened actually i'm going to go right after fred here because you mentioned something earlier about paying for it and i want to drag this back to what dan highlighted Individual stories aren't going to be enough, even if it is one of their kind, which is bullshit because we're all humans. The only thing that's actually going to get them to change their mind is us reaching across the table as a movement and saying, this is here, history is being made, join or move aside. And the only way to do that is to embrace what is actually happening right now in this crisis. The general day strike should happen. It will be an incredible leverage of labor movement, but it should be organized to reach across to business partners so that they actually do changes. Beating your desk won't be enough. We have over 50,000 dead because the house is on fire. This is what Andrew Yang talks about. When the fire truck shows up, they don't worry about water. Yep. The house is on fire. When you talk about paying for a UBI, you shouldn't be worrying about paying for it. Paying for it is a control on inflation to make sure that we don't have too much money. But right now, in a crisis when no one is spending money, the real concern is deflation. The fact that no one has money and no one is spending money. That's the real concern. Also, the- So paying for UBI is irrelevant yeah. in this pandemic. Yeah, I'll let Kevin go ahead. The whole the whole question of how how are you going to pay for it has I, I mean I've known for years that, that that's a complete bullshit question because um, it, it, this is now the second time in less than twenty years that uh, giant American businesses uh, have had to been have had to be bailed out um, to, to the tune of trillions. Uh, it happened in, in two thousand eight. It happened just now, and at no point at no point did anyone in the media ask how are you going to pay for it. But of course, when it comes to, to any kind of a social program that benefits uh, your average American, then then all of a sudden they 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 concern troll. They pretend to care and say, "Well, well how can you afford that?" So, so, so as far as I'm as far as I'm concerned, uh, the question of how are we going to pay for it is is the answer is simple. Uh, we just do what we've always done, and we just print the money that that we need because of modern monetary theory. So, but if we leverage if we leverage the fact that that the the UBI for all Americans is going to cost three trillion, right? And that three trillion is going to end up in corporations' pockets. That is like we we need to cater, like we need to cater to the point that corporations are going to get rich, and we need to not make it about ourselves and what we because need. Because, because because they have power. Because they have political yeah, power. Yeah, exactly. Because and what yeah, is because power they have power in society? Money. Organization and money. Money is what power is in this society. And under a capitalist system, money is power. 
that's not the Correct. only thing that you can also organize to to create political power. Yeah, Which, let's uh, let let's uh, let Fred finish his thought here. Well, no, I was just I was I was just gonna say, uh, I, you know, it's not about it's not about you know or, or, you know when I was saying uh, you know thirty five and over uh, white women, it's really not about women or race. It's about classism, right? So you you and that's just you know the biggest you know the Karens what they like to call it is the biggest thing that that uh that really moves the needle in in politics like nobody you know like what what uh the point uh totally was talking about about the racial issues that are in this country nobody nobody cares about low income uh people of color like us clamoring for hey this is good for this this is good for all communities, especially. And we start talking about low income, low income, low income. They 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 don't care. Can I say uh, it, 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 to the whole race thing? Like like I think what it what it really is is the media pushing race upon us because like lately, what have you seen a lot with this corona uh, coronavirus coverage? They keep talking about um, how this particularly affects people of color, and, and obviously that is important, but but it also affects people. Uh, white people as well so uh, to me and this is my own perspective but to me it uh it doesn't do us any favor to to racially segregate who's being affected by the coronavirus no 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 hold on hold on hold on hold on excuse me i gotta i gotta respond to this um kevin with so much respect for you because i i love the work that you do it's brilliant um you want to one of the most thoughtful members of the yang gang okay uh but we have currently developed this intellectual strain of reactionism when whenever somebody wants to talk about the fact that there are different, like massively different racial outcomes. Um, just you look at the data and you see that there's a 13 to one wealth ratio in large part as a result of uh, lending laws throughout the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, that the red line, which prevented like the main wealth accumulation uh, mechanism for normal people buying houses. Uh, there's all these structural legal aspects. Um, and, and the fact that that um, race, um, structural racism is clear, the outcomes of it are clear. Uh, but now anytime somebody wants to talk about it, this intellectual strain is like, no, we can't talk about racism because that's just a victim mentality. Um, but, but that's not what I'm saying, though. But, but that's not what I'm saying. Like, like obviously, uh, I'm, I'm not. I'm not denying racism is real. It, it very much is, and it is something that needs to be that we, that we need to be open about. Uh, all I'm saying is is that uh, it, with this, particularly the the coronavirus, it's it, it's not so much. And, and again, this is my perspective. But to me, it seems that it's about class. If you if you are uh, in, in a lower income community, regardless of, regardless of your color, then you you are at greater risk um, for the coronavirus. That that also applies if you're over if you're overweight, if you're obese, if you have diabetes, if you're a smoker. Um, a, a, as far as we know thus far, the coronavirus doesn't have any predilection for people of any particular color. So so I'm not saying that we should ignore this. And I agree with you totally. Like there are there are reactionaries who immediately want to disregard any discussion about race, and I can right. assure you, and I can assure you that I'm not one of them. But but I'm, but I'm saying that sometimes, 
Sometimes it's, it's about it's about both. Both of the things that you're saying are true, uh, Kevin. Uh, if you're a lower class person, you're you have a higher likelihood of getting and dying from COVID. And then if you want to layer on top of that, uh, you know, happening to to be African American, uh, you also have a far higher, usually double rate of dying as a result of uh, inferior access to healthcare um, and greater access to the virus. Yeah, it's actually it's actually it's actually up to five to six times in certain. That the, the, and, that. and that's fucked up, by the way. We should we should uh, like, if, frankly, uh, people are more concerned about uh, being called racist or or racism being discussed than they are about or the a racism. race baiter. What's that? Or a race baiter, like, hey, you're just you're just trying to push this narrative because you're a race baiter. That's another one. It's like you're either called a racist or a race baiter. You know, yeah, like in, in the back of my, in the back of my head, right? When I was talking about uh, we we need we need to show that that Karen's thirty five year old thirty five year old white women that are married in the upper middle class are threatened, and that their buying power is threatened. Uh, in the back of my mind, I'm automatically thinking, I wonder, I wonder who in the Yang Gang is going to judge me for saying that because we're conditioned. But to say that we can't talk honestly about honest problems. That's why we don't solve those honest problems. Uh, Dan Larson, would you like to respond to that? Yeah, and actually, uh, Fred, I caught your Trumpers for Yang, too, and you talked about this quite a bit. And I think that that's something that we're having a little bit of an issue with, with uh, just credentialism overall and, you know, and, and what what are the appropriate things to say, what are the the inappropriate things to say. So we have like just just this race conversation overall it's like when i hear it it's like the primary thing that i want to just call out is there's a very important thing to talk about with the just covering it and the message of this uniform just class divide as well you know not that racism doesn't exist but classism exists um and everybody can touch that as well thank you dan i love you and i don't mean that (laughs) in a funny way. I'm not going cougar on you. I'm very happily married. Thank you. I love you. And I say that in a brother sister kind of way. Right. Yeah. I think, I think classism even, even goes deeper than, uh, than racism because like there are certain jobs that you can go and try to apply for. Yeah. This book on Amazon Kindle and read it. Yeah. There's certain ways. There's there's certain jobs, certain jobs you can go to try to apply for. Yes. And if you it, and if you don't come from a certain class or you don't know somebody on the inside, right? You're not going to get that job because uh, you know poor people don't, even if they're credentialed, uh, it don't get that particular job. Well, I actually wanted to mention something that just happened with Padgett uh, Casey, and um, well, I'm just going to come right out and say it, Burke Anderson, uh, and. Uh, also, Dan, Dan from Montana. So, um, well, but I, when, I, it wasn't me though, Faye. It was, uh, uh okay. Josh. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, um, we had a young person, uh, kind of, uh, tried to, uh, get some attention for, uh, some of our candidates. Um, but this, some of the down ballot candidates right now are, um, a little frustrated because they're not able to get endorsements directly from Andrew Yang yet. And so then, and then they say, well, maybe we can get some of the other Yang Gang to bring us on. And we know that Casey has has been bringing candidates on, but she's been very selective about who she wants to bring on because, you know, he's been uh, called out for 
um, trying to promote things that turned out to be a scam later or something like that. And now she's being a lot more cautious. And so I'm 100% supportive of her, you know, vetting candidates and things like that before she brings them on. But then uh, one of the one of the candidates know about is Burke Anderson out in Las Vegas. And he's absolutely um, pretty well vetted as far as I'm concerned. He's uh, been moderator on the, you know, Yang Gang fan base. He's been uh, part of the Yang Gang uh, Report Live that I'm on. He has um, done a lot of rides here, Yang. He has his own channel where he literally shows you him yanging individuals one at a time as they come into their, his car when he drives his, um, you know, Uber type of thing. And so he's done so much, um, you know, he's been a videographer there. And this is his Yang Gang cred. Our other cred that he has is uh, he's uh, a lot of uh, political, he's, politi- uh, <laughs> he's collected like hundreds and thousands of signatures for certain movements that have happened in Nevada, where he lives now. And so, you know, I mean, he's got his own, I, I believe that he's a good candidate because I believe in him as a person, as a human being. But um, on the outside, he, there was one thing that has been going on, which is that he didn't have the act blue, okay, for receiving donations, which everybody's expecting. When you go to see, you know, when you go to a political candidate's website, you're going to see an act blue link. And so, so Padgett the other day was saying, well, you know, um, if I don't see an actual link, you know, I'm not going to, I don't quite feel comfortable with this person. And I believe that that's true for everybody, you know, so that's a known issue we're having. But um, when you think about it, the reason he's doing that must have to something to do with the fact that he doesn't have a bank account. And so this is where we're at, is where we're talking about trying to get people to run for office who are not part of the establishment who are not even middle class, maybe. People who are poor simply can't run for office because they can't get that credibility. You know, not having a bank account makes you look super, super bad. And then, um, you know, the other person who happened to be on with Padgett that day, I'm not even going to mention, you know, the names and stuff, but I don't even, I don't know him that well. So, But he just basically said, well, it's so easy to get a bank account. You know, it's easy. It costs you nothing. And I thought to myself, I don't have a bank account. You know, and, and I'm trying to explain that. And I'm like, I don't have a big account. not a reason why you can't do it. And these are the things not, you know, not part of the, the rest of humanity, apparently. <laughs> but well, I'm not hey, alone. Hey, on, the, uh, on the subject of Bergie Anderson, I mean, I, yeah. personally, I, 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 I think he's a, a good, decent human being. But I will mm-hmm. tell you right now, he's not going to have a chance in hell because of that, uh, that interview he had with all gas, no brakes at the uh, adult video awards. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I, Burke, I don't I love think you. that's actually a problem because he's running in Las Vegas. I mean, you've got to think about it. You're, you're not, he's not running for the entire state even. He has an assemblyman in Las Vegas. And if, you, if anybody's going to be okay with that, it's going to be Las Vegas. <laughs> so I'm not, like, I'm not that concerned about that. Yeah, I, th- I think perhaps, but I, I think if, uh, if Challenger wanted to make an attack ad against him, all he's got to pull 10 seconds from that clip and, I mean... Uh, he kind of dug himself into a grave, I think. I don't uh, think so. I don't. I don't see a problem with that, honestly. Excuse me, folks. I I, I have to get going here. Um, I I only had till uh three thirty to to be on the call. Um, oh, thank I'm you guys so much. No problem at all, Tally. Thank you so much for yeah. uh, for coming. Um, at least you're so here. we didn't get to do the moderated discussion portion with you here. That's that's okay. I'm sorry if you were looking forward to that. But if you would like, please send me your replies. Uh. Just DM me on Twitter, and you can just you know record like some two minute responses to our topics if if you would be so kind. 
All right, thank thank you guys for having me. I had a blast. It was really good seeing uh, a lot of you folks. Uh, y'all take care, Jacqueline. It was nice to meet you. Much love. Really uh, nice to meet you. Best of luck with your race. Yeah. See you guys out there. Bye. See, Have you, a good see you, buddy. So, um, I so basically, in terms of the Burke Anderson issue, there, I was like, well, you know, I said to Padgett, uh, if you were to get an X Blue account, would you then consider? Because uh, the adult awards type of thing was not an issue for her either. The the issue was he doesn't look respectable enough because he doesn't have an ActBlue account. And honestly, that's what banks have been doing for all of our uh, civilization is the banks say, we know who to trust. When you give us your money, we're going to know who to lend it to. And when they lend it out right now, all they do is they create money out of thin air. And so, you know, if your father is wealthy, then we're going to give that money to you. But if you happen to be black and you happen to be poor, but you have a great idea, sorry, we're not, we don't trust you, so you're not going to get that money. And that's, um, you know, what's limiting us in terms of power. Well, this is why I was speaking out um, and getting ra- rather uh, irate over the way the COVID uh, relief checks were handled, because as a one of the one of many leaders in the human trafficking survivor community that is fighting to help you know, the current victims that, you know, we're helping. Okay. Um, getting ID is, is, is a, is a nearly insurmountable hurdle for many of, um, of those we're trying to serve and you can't open a bank account without ID. And yet you need to have money and another form of ID to get the ID. It's like this, it, this it's a vicious circle, this chicken and egg, chicken and yes. egg. And it's like the only reason I didn't have that problem is because I was trafficked at age 12 back in 1980. And um, uh, back then, you know, you didn't have such a, a, a highly organized. Um, it wasn't it wasn't like it is now. Let's put it this way. It was a lot easier to escape from your traffickers. It was also a lot easier to open up a bank account, you know, if, if you could get a job and have an income to do that with, that is. But you, you only needed uh, one, one form of ID, and that was it. And the form of ID that if, if you didn't have, like, a driver's license or your Social Security card, they would actually let you use your junior high school or high school school ID. Oh, and back in the day, huh? Back wow. in the day. I, I mean, you know. I didn't know about I, that. Yes, and that's what I was trying to explain when I've been on the phone with my my representatives and senators in my state about the need for making the, these things, these, these um, relief packages truly universal is that when you implement means testing, this is what you end up doing. You end up implementing a mechanism to facilitate the means testing that however unintentionally cuts out and excludes some of the most vulnerable people. And when you've got homeless trafficking victims who have nowhere to go, they don't have families to go back to, and they don't have ID, never mind an income to even open up a bank account with if they could get one. Because remember, we're talking about a population where their traffickers took all the money that they were forced to, quote, earn, if you consider getting raped every night, you know, a job. Yeah. Uh, hey, Dan, uh, this, Dan uh, I'd like to hear your, but, uh, your, your take on this. Uh, but, so uh, a voter ID as a... Can I finish, please, without being interrupted? Thank you. The point is, is that we have many people in this country 
that are are trapped in that catch-22. That in order to get a bank account, you need ID. But in order to get ID, you have to already have ID. I'd like to actually piggyback on this because um, not being papered makes you essentially like a, a not papered immigrant. You know, you, you're not an immigrant, you're an American citizen, but now not having papers, you're thrown into that same lot of not being able to prove yourself. And um, I want to bring in the immigrant uh, perspective before we go to Dan and get the, you know, his perspective on things. Um, the white man's perspective. This country. <laughs> oh, no, no, not at all. But Dan's uh, running for office, so he's got his, um, you know, running for office perspective. Um, I'm, as an, uh, as an Asian American who was not born here, I had to be, uh, what do you call it? I had to go through the immigration process and become a naturalized citizen. And so when I had to apply for SNAP for the first time or the second time, I don't know, I think it was the first time to apply for SNAP, really, maybe the second. I had been approved in California, but when I got to Texas, they had different actual uh, requirements. So every state administers it differently. And when I got to Texas, they wanted me to prove that I was an American citizen. And at that time, I had lost my papers because they had been seized during the uh, by the FBI. So the FBI actually had my paperwork somewhere, my naturalization papers. And I was like, how am I going to prove this? And I found out that in order to those papers, it would have cost $300. I couldn't remember the exact amount, but it was way more than I could possibly ever find at that moment. I mean, if you need, you know, money for food, you're not coming up with that amount of money. So I went to the FBI and I was like, I need this right now. I'm not going to be able to eat. <laughs> you cannot give me back my paperwork. And um, I was lucky that the FBI in, um, in Texas and Houston were actually helped because I had been in contact with the FBI in, in Washington. I'd been in contact with FBI in California. And neither one of them was forthcoming with the paperwork, except pushing the responsibility back to each other. Because those kids were both involved in my case. Thank you for listening to that. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so, so, Dan, I, I think um, in a lot of ways, you know, the, the Yang Gang is very opposed to any types of meat testing. Um, I think, you know, for, for many functions, it's a type of meat test. I'm just curious to bounce that idea off of your head and uh, what that means. And uh, I guess, uh, Kevin, if you could respond to him afterwards. Yeah, so I think I would echo a little bit of what Jackie was saying is a lot of what the mean testing is, is it, it's kind of egotistical to think that you can sit there and have a well-intended um, means test and, and be able to consider all the people that it will affect, you know? Uh, so we see this, especially with, with uh, how we've used the unemployment system and how we've used, um, you know, the the pay pe- paycheck protection is we think, oh, okay, well, this this will help people out. But um, that's why universal solutions are probably the best best thing that we can talk about ever. Um, but I've, I've just because we we just don't know all these different situations that people go through, and we don't. And there's there's all kinds of examples of people that that uh, have trouble. Um, well, for example, I'm not eligible for unemployment currently, but my income's been affected, you know, but everybody thought that it would be okay, you know? Um, so it's, it's one of those things where a universal cash dividend, it, it makes sense. But as far as the, uh, like the voter access issues, I, I would just, I just have one slight bit of caution when we, when we grab some of these talking points. So 
the voter ID and access, yeah, sometimes it's actually used to disadvantage uh, different portions of our community, you know. And then the as far as the open access, sometimes it's actually used um, politically to advantage certain candidates. And these are these are long tail problems that are generating a whole lot of like discussion. And it doesn't mean that they're in, uh, irrelevant. It just means that we have to be cautious. Every time you hear something that's in the long tail, as far as like a, you know, say it's a 0.01% issue, um, and then it's brought in to be the only thing that we talk about it, there usually there's something else going on, you know? So when we talk about uh, just voting in the U.S., generally we should be super supportive of the most open voting um, possible. But people use our opinions about like our voting to kind of distract us from some substantial issues. I don't know if that was the, exactly what we're, you were hoping for there, but I was talking to a uh, secretary of uh, uh, state candidate yesterday, and that, that was sort of his point of view on it. But. There you go. Oh, so, so, so am I next? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd like to hear what you have to say in, in regards to voter ID, how in general um, identification is required to, to function with society. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be totally honest, I don't have that strong uh, um, of an opinion on it. I think that Jacqueline does make a good point, um, but I, but I can also see, uh, um, you know, from uh, Mr. Larson's perspe- perspective, is that uh, it, it can also be abused. It, like it can be fucked with, like either way. Um, but, but to to Mr. Larson's point earlier, when he mentioned uh, means testing, um, what, what I've come to realize is that in Washington means testing only is just a barrier. It's just their way of saying, hey, we don't actually want to do this. So, but I can't just tell you that I don't want to do this. So Nancy Pelosi says we have to, to means test this this UBI stimulus bill or whatever. Um, but she, of course she didn't say that when it came when it came to bailing out a Carnival cruise ship company, right? So so means testing, you, you really have to learn the, the Washington Dictionary because they, they use these, these words that, that on the surface seem reasonable it's like well yeah we should it should be means tested because you want to know that the product works beforehand um but but you quickly come to realize that that's bullshit it's just a way of them building up a wall for it not to happen when nancy pelosi said quote i don't want to cut checks to millionaires and that was her justification for means testing the covid relief uh checks um i can guarantee you that there are a hell of a lot more destitute and indigent people that were cut out that need help the most that were means tested out of being able to get anything than there were millionaires. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And you know what? Uh, That was actually a talking point for not just Nancy Pelosi, but also Pete Buttigieg. Uh, When Bernie Sanders was talking about Medicare for all, Pete Buttigieg's response was, well, I I don't think uh, millionaires need free healthcare or some, some bullshit like that. So yeah, you know, like as they pretend to care about the little guy, they're also, you know, right. shunning the little guy. Right. Well, exactly. Plus they're ignoring the the most important thing that we're doing with the money. The money is to go into the economy and change hands, you know? It's like <laughs> what is what is a person's propensity to spend this money? And that's what that's what I don't this is what I just don't understand is like I think it's our fundamental paradigm at this point. And I don't even think it's intentional sometimes is we're thinking, oh, well, it should always be fair. But the fairest thing is, is to be universal. Like, let that billionaire have have a thousand dollars and then they can put it on Main Street. 
you know? Well, not so, to mention also the fact that somebody can have a million dollars and be sitting pretty today, but then they throw the dice of life and it comes up snake eyes, mm-hmm. okay? And they can go from being at the top of the world today yeah. to tomorrow being in the soup. So, yeah. you know, yeah. it, it's like that's that's the, the, the thing as well, is that that's the whole point of having a universal social floor that does not penalize you when you dig your way up out and, and yeah. come, you know, you, you know, we, we always if I could say just pop in real quick before we move away too quick. I'm really happy that we have identified the, um, the grift, the ruse in the messaging yes. uh, of, of the politics of spite, uh, even from just a purely practical standpoint, you know, Mm-hmm. What is going to do more harm to society? Uh, accident, you know, just giving unnecessary money to millionaires, billionaires, etc., or cutting out the same number of people who are destitute. And of course, in practice, we're cutting out, you know, a hundred times more people who are destitute than people who actually receive the money and do not need it at all. Guarantee. So, so, so that's called an error of scope, you know. And if we yes. identify it for what it is, talk about it in those terms to each other it becomes abundantly clear and and then it becomes a question of how it ever worked to begin with you know yeah i think like we glorify all the rags to riches stories but how many riches to rags stories are yeah, there absolutely. absolutely you know you know let, let let's talk about those stories let's or talk about all the people <laughs> or, or, yeah. or in my case with rags to rags <laughs> rags right rags to, rags to rags is like the most abundant stories out there but the thing is is that ned we we just we just have this uh brainwashing apparatus in our uh you know mainstream media that has to be confronted for what it is i mean that 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 that's why i'm hoping like all these mainstream media channels need to be challenged for all these stories that we're talking about over here that are being ignored by them, that are being overlooked and are being and, and they're pontificating to us who are talking amongst ourselves right here without ever really listening to us and just pontificating to us. I don't think that's right. There's a technical term for that, Ariel. It's called littering the public square with verbal diarrhea. There you go. <laughs> right. There you go. Yeah. Can, can I bring something up now? Um, I, I I know that this is going to be like. Let me just preface. Oh, hey there, buddy. How's it going? <laughs> Who's that? That's uh, Faye's little boy. That's Zephyr. I oh, think. hey. Zephyr <laughs> oh, can't hear you because I have my headset on, but uh, he sometimes is curious about what mommy is doing, <laughs> and he's oh, he's enjoying some tips he got from his friends. <laughs> I had to taste test it to make sure it was still good. You know. There you go. There you go. No, no poison. No poison in that. <laughs> so put them away because I'm I'm going to talk about something very adult. Um, so uh, look, everything that that we do forward, like any solution that we talk about, has to be universal. It has to apply to everyone equally, because I, I fear that that if it's not universal, then it'll only result in the unintended consequence of causing more division. And this leads me to and get ready. This leads me to reparations for slavery. Okay, because because I've I've seen a lot of um, I, I've been hearing a lot of talk about how African Americans are deserving of you know reparations for slavery, and I'm not here to be, to debate whether or not that's a good or bad idea. All I'm saying is that it, it, if it were to be implemented, or, or if they were to be given the reparations, is it possible that be, that 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 would only create more resentment because it's not 
you know, because it's essentially a, a sort of UBI for African Americans, but not for everyone else. And so my my hypothetical okay. is it also it also ignores people who were victims of slavery within this lifetime, and I'm talking about human trafficking victims across the racial lines and both genders. I mean, it's not just women and girls that trafficked. Do we still have Fred here? Is Fred still here? Ignore those very real victims of slavery who uh, inarguably suffered all their lives as a result of having been enslaved enslaved and stigmatized and criminalized for being enslaved. There is going to be some acrimonious resentment and kickback, I'm afraid. Yeah, but but what pisses me off is that it's such a a touchy subject because because the the minute that I say that I'm not in favor of – of reparations for slavery, but I'm in favor of a more universal approach, like yes. universal basic income. Then I'm I'm immediately labeled, you know, racist or whatever. So, so so I don't know. I mean, like, it's it, I and I feel for you because I understand what you're you, you know where, where you're coming from, and I get it. And I'm saying there's people who are victims of actual slavery that are not African American today, who exactly. were never made whole, whom society said fuck you, sorry for your luck. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Don't be a victim. And to make one group of people that were whose ancestors were victims of slavery whole, but ignore current victims of slavery who've never been made whole, would is one example of where that division could occur. On top of the fact that you're going to see a lot of other people who are going to be resentful because. They're going to say, you know, now this is not my point of view, but this is what I've seen other people say. They're going to say, well, you know, my people uh, never owned slaves. My people were from poverty for the past seven generations and didn't even come to America until after World War II as penniless refugees, you know, fleeing the Nazi war machine that had infiltrated every country in Europe. It wasn't just Germany, you know, it was this onslaught that just completely obliterated Germany, uh, completely obliterated Europe and turned Europe into a pile of Neolithic rubble, quite frankly, until the Marshall, until the Marshall plan was passed. And a lot of, there's going to be a lot of resentment from those people. They're going to say, you know, why am I being forced to pay for something that I had no benefit from? And that is an argument that I've seen, whether anybody else agrees with it or not, these are arguments that I've seen on almost every forum where that issue of reparations is broached every time, you know, I've seen that. And it's like, we can't ignore that and can't ignore that, that, that complaint. If I could step in for a second, uh, Dan, uh, Dan Larson, I think you got a lot of views on, uh, on human trafficking to talk about it uh, pretty eloquently last time you were on here. Yeah. Um, so first I want to talk about, uh, maybe just respond to that, the reparations question just a little bit. It's, um, it is a worthwhile issue, but I think it's important, like Kevin was saying to just call out, it's like, there's so much universal work that we can do on economic injustice right now. Like why divide people with the conversation of reparations and fairness? But, uh, like the issue that Jackie's talking about with human trafficking, for example, like one of the issues that we have in the state of Montana is the Keystone pipeline, you know, and the Keystone pipeline um, is going to create a lot of, of jobs that are temporary in the state of Montana. 
and they go through like Native American uh, reservations and there is a conduit and a pipeline for sex trafficking. And this, this was within the energy fields of, of Williston, uh, yes. North Dakota as well. And yes. these are, these are small communities that are being sold that, Hey, here's economic development, you know, and we, we pursue economic development at all costs, but then we don't really look at the human costs. And so for example, in this area now that there, you're going to have a lot of oil pipeline workers, there's likely going to be a spike in human trafficking and, and even the abduction and, and, and potential murder of like indigenous women. Um, we still haven't addressed the fact that we don't have ad- adequate like FBI resources or, or we're not really following up on these cases. Sometimes there's organized crime that's moving into these areas. And we talk about like, if you were to like do a map of the political conversations in this country, like truly these issues that are heartbreaking from a human perspective we just don't really talk about enough as far as are we looking for a solution? You know, are we looking for the root causes of these problems and are we trying to affect it? And I think that that's another, it's another problem. A lot of people will throw out like proposed solutions, but like, unless we're dealing with like the fundamental, basic, universal economic injustice, we just won't solve. Um, You're not going to solve this by creating a committee. You know, you're not going to solve this by, you know, putting more law enforcement on the street, you're going to solve it with, you know, millions of people having better, better outcomes and better ability to make decisions every single day. And that's why I think a social floor makes so much sense because when you do anything that's targeted, Mm -hmm. number one, you're going to breed resentment among those who are left out. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Number two, um, you're going to implement means testing. And while that may sound politically cool, this is what it looks like for real. When you means test, you are basically creating a system and we'll take SSI for poor disabled people that never got to accumulate enough credits to get regular social security or SSDI. But SSI uh, for poor disabled people is actually one of the the welfare programs. You can't have more than $2,000 in total assets. Um, And like in, in my case, I was told I'd have to get a divorce and basically go be homeless which I told them to go shit in their hat. I'm not divorcing my husband and I'm not moving out of my home. There's your antenna. You're coming in loud and clear, you know? Um, It's just not happening. And this is what we get when we do things like that. When we do things like targeted, targeted goes hand in hand, hand in glove, peas and carrots, bread and butter with means testing. And what that creates is a ceiling instead of a floor. What happens when you stand up like you're Alice in Wonderland, and all of a sudden, ouch, you've just cracked your noggin on the ceiling. But you've got a floor. You can stand on that floor. You can set a ladder up. You can climb up higher than that floor. And you're cool. You're golden. And if you fall, the furthest you can fall, the furthest you'll land is that floor. And and this is why we really need to drill home, because a lot of people really need to have this explained to them like they're for the difference between a ceiling and a floor. So anytime you, you know, somebody raises the discussion of, well, we want to target, we don't want to give money to people that don't need it or, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's where you come at them with the idea of the floor and, and how uh, targeting works hand in glove with means testing in a way that 
is just going to create a hell of a lot more problems than it's going to solve. And we don't want any more hornets nests getting peed on. Okay. I am in agreement. I'm so sorry, but um, uh, unfortunately that's my time. So thank you guys so much for having me on. Um, it's, it's been a real pleasure. It was so it was nice to meet yeah, you for the first great. time, Kevin. Yeah, You're welcome back anytime. Uh, yeah, it was really great. Really a fascinating conversation. Uh, you really brought a lot of new ideas here. So thanks. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you. Thank you. And, and Mr. Larson, if I may say, uh, if Washington had a lot more people like you, we'd be in a better place. Oh, there's yeah, a of people like sure. me, so we'll see. All right, peace. We, we need to get like four or 500 more of you cloned and replicated throughout every state and country. <laughs> yeah. Like have like common sense kind of government. You know? Especially in here, California. Oh. Yeah. Bye-bye. Right, bye, Kevin. Thanks, man. Yeah. Bye. bye, Kevin. Bye, Kevin. Are we ready to move on into the uh, official topics? I'm wondering if, if Fred is still here. All right. You know, it feels sort of wrong having uh, having two of our, our special guests leave before we do the moderated portion. Yeah. So why don't we just finish up the, the open discussion, and then anyone who would like to be included can send me recordings of their uh, answers to the topics. That way they're on an even footing with our guests if they'd like to be included, too. How does that sound? I like yeah, it. It's good. Yeah. Great, great. So let's just move on and keep keep going for, you know, another half hour or however long you guys have. Yeah. I think we covered a lot of ground. Uh, so I, I actually wanted to weigh in on the reparations. Um, I'm not sure that uh, reparations is not something that we should do. But I feel like, of course, uh, like everyone else, the universal basic income is so important. If we can pass that first. And then, again, there's a lot of other issues that should be talked about as a second step. You know, after that's been done, let's see how people are actually feeling. You know, let's give it a like another half a year or a year at least. Let people, you know, start to think in how the government is actually providing correctly now for everybody. And then I think we need to revisit, you know, how do how do all of these different groups feel about their probable mistreatment over, you know, over this uh, historical time? I mean, we're not going to just talk about race like only slavery. What about, um, you know, like the Native Americans that were the first oppressed people? And what about, you know, and there's been some reparations for, for different American groups, but there's also, you know, a lot of other uh, people who've been through a lot in, the, in our country. So, you know, that's, I think, something that does need another national, like, conversation. I don't think we can say we just never happened and, you know, and that this is enough. We need to actually talk out. You know how does how does everybody feel after we get everybody covered first? Yeah, agreed. I think yeah. yeah, getting everybody feeling included first is paramount. Right, and then if you want to have more conversations, I don't think that you know UBI is going to end conversations. I think we need to keep keep talking right. until we figure it'll that be, out. It'll be easier to have more conversations, I think, if mm-hmm. we have <coughs> UBI and if people. Mm-hmm aren't um because when you don't when you're not getting your basic needs met and you're in constant fear for your life type of survival okay when you're no longer in that space of fearing for your life type of survival then you're going to be more number one you're going to be more rested more relaxed and more able to put yourself in that space where we can look at other things to talk about 
it's a proven fact that when you're in life-threatening poverty for a prolonged period of time, your cortisol levels are jacked through the roof and it knocks about 13 IQ points off. Not to brag, I mean, maybe I could afford to lose 14, 13 IQ points, but a lot of people can't. And yeah, we don't yeah. want to have that kind of uh, a loss. And that's that's the thing is that when we are when 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 we get the, the, the most universal, you know, and establish that floor where nobody's excluded, nobody, okay, from the poorest to the richest, then we have a the ability, the space. We've created the space to have a true meeting of minds and to have all these other conversations. Yeah. I mean, that's what I, that's what I'm seeing. That's what I think. That's what I see. Yeah. That's what that's I see for, happening. That, that's for sure. I, so I, I, wanted, I, really... to, I wanted to uh, direct people's attention back to um, our chat. Uh, if you get a chance to look there, I put a whole bunch of links in terms of uh, places that you can volunteer and, uh, I see that we've lost Dan from Montana, so we can have, um, you know, uh, let me see if I can find a link for him. I think it's just danformontana.com. Uh, but, you know, uh, I want to end with, uh, we're going to have a Yang Gang Slack. Um, we're going to have a Zoom call that's called the Humanity Bird uh, Volunteer Network. Uh, it's kind of like a, called a Yang Gang Hang, right? It's just a hangout. So, once again, it's that is going to be actually a conversation for making friends and for um, learning about other people who are also ganging. But I think the power of connections is that once you have those connections, all these ideas start flowing between you, and then you're going to get to work on some of the things that you, um, you know, come up with. So I, I believe in the power of uh, community building and also uh, friendship building, and so I'm going to be volunteering next week on Wednesday if you join that particular hang. I'm going to be um, one of the co-hosts there, so um, helping that I should happen. should probably go because that's also the one of the purposes of, of our podcast here. Yeah. Interconnectivity, yeah. community building. Uh, I know that, Ariel yeah. had that lucky experience. You want to tell us yeah. about it? Before you yeah, what happened that? with that? <laughs> yeah, I, I got to talk to Andrew Yang. I don't know, like I have it on my Facebook. My stupid phone storage is like giving me trouble. I really need to upgrade my phone. But uh, but the thing is, is that it was like a humanity first uh, Zoom call or something like that. It was a special one. And I was talking to them and all of a sudden, Andrew Yang randomly just Zoom bombed us. And because because they were yeah because they were in separate rooms and I talked to him about you know the media uh, polarizing people and doing all these things and he said yeah like if if the information you get from the mainstream media is like a fast food and this is like a good healthy hearty meal when we have these long form things when we can really get into it it's like it's it's like healthier food for your mind rather than the trash that's like the potato chips and the doritos and the cheetos that they give you in the mainstream media so uh, we had we talked about that and and you know you know what it just felt like i wasn't trying to you know a lot of times you try to prove yourself you try to say like what kind of fancy at question can i ask this guy so so he can see that i'm smart or like how do i sound like really professional because i'm in the midst of like this person I didn't need any of that. It was like he's he's a friend. He's authentic. He's nice, you know. And he just came across that way. I, I liked him from the first moment when I first um, 
yanged myself. And I yeah. saw my very first Andrew Yang video, and it was when he was talking with his two buddies that he was having lunch with, and he said, Americans are getting fucked, and I want to unfuck you, so fucking vote for me so I can unfuck <laughs> you. I said, yeah. that's my kind of guy. And that's <laughs> when I binge-watched everything I could find. And this yeah. was after all after I read his policies on his page. So it's like right. I first read that. I first read that. Then I Googled right. him on, I YouTubed him and I got that video. And then I decided I really liked him because he shot from the hip. And I, I had to just binge watch everything. And I was like, oh, damn, I want to be a part of helping the crowd surf this man into the White House in 2021. Right. That sounds like every person's experience of Andrew. Um, and, and I think Andrew actually said that we should do these Yang Hangs because we need a way for people to feel good. And to feel connected during this time when, of social isolation and uh, social distancing. I mean, some of us are over, over moment. <laughs> I've, I've, I've put my, inserted myself into too many groups. Um, uh, there are, are still many of us who are living a different uh, situation where they want to, they want to help, but they don't quite know what to do. And if we get people into these yang hangs, we can talk to them. We can find out, um, we can give them a chance to talk up towards the leadership and, and towards Andrew Wong himself. And, and you know, it's... For it's people like, without any visuals of the chat, can you just tell people how they can attend the Yang Hang? Well, you'd have to first join the Slack. This is very... Actually, this is one of the big problems that I'm having. I would suggest you come out to, um, you know, face, can you come and join my uh, Yang Gang report on Facebook or maybe find me on Twitter and I'll try to, you know... Um, at Palestine Mass, okay, and then I'll try to give that information out there because these links are a little bit hard to, I don't even know if somebody can see a video, how are they going to click on this link? They can't. So, <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. you know, it's a very uh, complex link. I can't even read it out. It's going to take me an hour. In in addition to like pop like the biggest myth that Yang says is that we don't have the money. I think there's another big myth out there is that things solutions are hard and things take time and things are in this process and it's always going to be like slow and people it's going to be bad and it's going to be like painful. That's a myth too because we saw that the solutions are right in front of our face. It's just these people who capitalize on the the dysfunction that are that are like the the spokes in the gears. And and they're they're most of them are the cause of all this dysfunction, but but they but they leech off of it. And and you know, and then we find it's like you find out that no, like if if you're intelligent and if you're solutions oriented, your life doesn't have to be a shit show. I'm just yeah, incrementalism I'm just is also a myth. Thank you, Ariel. Right. All right. right. So we've gone we've gone over time. Let's right. I think we're good. Is everybody is anybody else have anything they really wanted to say before we go? I think Fred Fred, are you still with us? <laughs> Fred Fred has a green uh circle indicating there's audio coming through. I think it's just background noise he may have. Just left his phone on and put it down. Maybe. Anyway, okay. Well, um let's please just say a quick goodbye. Uh thank you for coming, everyone. If you'd like to just say your name and your Twitter and we'll see you all soon. This was a great conversation. Okay. I'm Ariel, and uh, my Twitter is Ariel's underscore Armada, and you can find me on YouTube at Revolutionary Thinking. Yeah, thanks for tuning in, everybody. This is Jeremy Sammons.
Follow me on Twitter at Jeremy Sammons one and that's S-A-M-M-O-N-S, number one. I'm Jacqueline, and you can find me on Twitter at Jacqueline Homan. And you can find me on YouTube, Jacqueline Homan, my name, and my Patreon and my online merch store, uh, 99 Reasons Why. And you can find me defending UBI almost anywhere on any media forum, whether it's Medium, Quora, Facebook, <laughs> Twitter. I get all over. I, I get all over the place. Like boy shit. So I'm going to go ahead and speak for uh, for Fred. Fred, you can find at uh, Truckers for Gang. All right. If you go on his YouTube channel, I think it's called um, Fred the Felon, or because maybe he rebranded it, but uh, that's what he goes by. Um, he likes to advocate for um, people who are who have, you know, done their service to the to their nation in uh, in jail. And uh, you can also find him on his web Truckers for Gang. So it's very simple. Truckers for Yang on Twitter. I, and I, I think I already gave mine, so I'm, you know, Palestine Math. Palestine, Palestine okay. Math. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Faye. Thank you for doing Fred, too. I am at S H A E L R I L E Y on Twitter. Thank you again for giving us some of your time. I hope to spend time with you again soon, whether you're you're here right now or you're, you're watching uh, on Twitch. Or do you want to do, do, do Dan also? Do you want to help people find Oh, Dan? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what's, what's, uh, remind everyone of Dan's, uh, Twitter. What is it? Dan is at Dan for Montana. That's very simple. Um, what about Tully? Do we need, do we know everybody's, uh, uh Twitters? We can just call uh, him out I for them. Don't have Tully's, me- I, Jeremy, I can do, you remember do Tully's? like a quick search for it. Well, Tully is easy. He's at Tully underscore math. Math. Okay. And how about Kev from, uh, I think it's Linsight. Let's just go with at Linsight Tweet. Linsight is spelled L-Y-N-S-I-G-H-T, and then Tweet, T-W-E-E-T-S. So there you go. Thank you so much. That that takes care of everyone. I did not miss anyone with your help. Thank you. We got everybody. Okay. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you, Phil. And thank you, Jeremy. Yeah.